and welcome to IAB Europe's podcast, Digital Dawn, the podcast that brings insights and learnings from the digital advertising and marketing industry to light, to spark new ideas into existence and help our industry to thrive. In our first episode of 2022, IAB Europe's Chief Economist, Daniel Knapp, speaks to Andrew Hayward-Wright, Partnerships Director at Seeing This and Programmatic Advisor for IAB Europe about what we can expect for the year ahead. They discuss the hottest trends for 2022, including retail media, and dive into the weeds of the attention economy and talk about the importance of sustainability in our industry. So whether you're taking a break, grabbing some fresh air, or just keen to get stuck into the year, we hope this episode opens your ears to the biggest topics of the moment. Hello and welcome to the IB Europe's Digital Dawn podcast. My name is Daniel Knapp. I'm the Chief Economist at IB Europe and I'm pleased to be joined here today with Andrew Hayward, Partnerships Director at Seen This and also Programmatic Advisor at IB Europe. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? Hi, Daniel. I'm good. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, it's the first podcast of the year and I think we have the exciting task to polish the crystal ball and look ahead how this year is going to shape up. We've seen so many transformations in 2021 where the market performed much better than expected. And the key question is, what's happening in 2022? Is it going to be just a carryover from 2021? Or are there going to be new pockets of growth? Are there going to be fragmentations and changes in the market? And I think that 2022 is going to be a decisive and potentially, I'm not using this term lightly, area-defining year for digital advertising, where a lot of the changes we've seen come into play, post-third-party cookies with the emergence of new formats and so forth, will really affect how the industry develops in 2022. And in preparation for our little conversation, I looked at our latest forecasts. And well, 2021 was an exceptional year for digital advertising with 28.6% growth in digital ad spend year on year in Europe. And we think that it's going to be 14.4% in 2022. So a continued double-digit growth. When you look at your clients and what you've seen in the industry, where do you think this is coming from? Why is it remaining so strong? Well, I think kind of the silver lining of COVID for our industry, right, is the shift in user behavior to that online-focused engagement with brands. You haven't been walking outside, going past outdoor banners or engaging with different types of media. So marketeers have had to follow where the eyeballs are. And for me, I think that trend is going to continue because we've created a behavioral change in the way that consumers engage with content and media even more so. And even as the world hopefully unlocks over 2022 and we get back to some sense of normality, I think that is going to continue. And like, I mean, that 14.4% growth for me, it's an exciting year, 2022. For anyone in our industry, we should be really looking forward to it because as you rightly said, it's quite a pivotal one. There's a lot going on. A lot of changes have been set up in 2021 and we'll see how they play out over the course of 2022. What are your top three trends for 2022? So I think for 2022, we will see retail media It's been featured probably in the last 12 months as well with growing conversations around it, but a real run at retail media as it expands outside of just the likes of Amazon into other entities like Walmart. We've seen loads of acquisitions and Mm -hmm. purchases in that space. So for me, retail media is probably one of the top ones. It actually came to 
the front of mind and global conversations at the end of 2021, but the issue around sustainability and environmental impact of not just the organizations within digital media, but the actual thing that we use to power digital media, the internet and the ads themselves are a growing focus and shift on how to make our industry a climate friendly one. And then probably the third one, there's so many, and I'm sure we'll discuss them as well. I'm torn between action around supply chain transparency and the metaverse in the sense of because of Facebook's, or we've now meant to call them meta, I assume, clear statement around their ambitions in that space. So joint third, I'd probably say supply chain because we've had the ANA stuff and some unredacted stuff with Google very early on in the year. And then that metaverse. And then there's a load of other ones from identity through to attention and everything like that as well. It's interesting that you didn't put post-apartheid cookies identity in the top three. I have the feeling that this is something that many other people in the industry would do as well. Maybe not necessarily publicly because it is an important topic. It's the topic, right? How to build this new infrastructure of targeting and measurement. But there seems to be a palpable fatigue in this conversation. Seems to be going in circles. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of one of those ones where because we have had the continued extensions and I think the industry met the extended timeline from Google of the deprecation of third-party cookies with open arms to enable us to get ourselves into better shape and address varying concerns around privacy sandbox and stuff. But that fatigue will naturally come when the deadline keeps on getting moved out. And I think it's one of those ones where we've seen a massive expansion of ID solutions as at least 100 plus in market. The question is how, I guess, governance policy and technology and application will all converge over the next 12 months. And I think it is that last application in the next 12 months that we're going to have to focus on double down. But also I think why people might have a bit of fatigue on it is we're starting to come to the realization that there are other ways and mechanisms that we can reach and engage with audiences online, going back to content in particular. And that I think audience and targeting is but one lever that we can pull. And there are other very strong levers to use to drive effectiveness of digital advertising. We're going to speak about retail media. We're going to speak about all the other things you mentioned. Some of these came into the industry debate quite suddenly, I feel, in 2021. Mm. But of course, we could anticipate that those are going to play a crucial role in 2022. What were kind of maybe some of the more surprising left field things that you saw emerge in 2021 or just in the last couple of weeks? Yes, I think for me, and I don't know, maybe this is starting to speak to my age a little bit. We obviously had the announcement that TikTok exceeded traffic over Google domains and Facebook. So to me, not being an active user on TikTok, it's a clear indication of the way in which consumers are engaging with content, but also similarly that publishers and brands need to rethink their kind of content marketing strategies and the use of short form video content on that front as well. That was an interesting one. And I think, as you said, this all feeds into this narrative of change where there isn't necessarily this evolutionary progress in the industry, but some things are happening quite fast right now. And all these things, I think, coming together mean that we are in this era defining time, new infrastructure, moving away from just setting squares on a page, as you once kind of aptly put it, to retail media, CTV, explosion in the US, still not really there in Europe yet. 
But many things are being developed to create new foundations for the advertising. And I think the core question, all of the things that we discussed so far is, who are the winners and losers? Who's going to capture this growth of 14.4%? In our economic analysis, one of the most remarkable things is that this growth of digital advertising is apparently now detached from wider macroeconomic factors. So in the past, we did analysis, we always saw a very strong correlation between ad spend and GDP. But now, even when we see GDP growing slower, well, there's an economic contraction due to local lockdowns. We're not seeing this impacting digital ad spend. It's removed from that. So there is some endemic growth going on. We look at, of course, where it's coming from. It's a lot of new digitally endemic brands. It is venture capital-backed companies that have to advertise in order to acquire users, to minimize churn, to thrive. And there's just so much capital in there that digital marketing can grow regardless of some cyclical economic headwinds. When that's kind of the premise, the question is, who is capturing that money? Yeah. Is it going to be publishers? Is it going to be broadcasters? Is it going to be the platforms? Is it going to be retail media? And what's the role of ad tech in all of this, given the strains with third-party cookies and this massive fragmentation and balkanization around our solutions, and maybe there's some latent industry fatigue around this topic overall. I think that's really what's going to define 2022. And the winners and losers of that year might also be a good bellwether to who the winners and losers are for the next five years to come. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it goes without saying, right, the wall gardens and the notion of wall gardens are going to continue to capture more spend. There's questions around, is Alphabet going to have to spin out the Google ad network with varying views on that due to competitive pressure on that front? And then we've got a growth of all gardens as well. I mean, I go back to TikTok and like obviously we've got Amazon as well. Amazon being fueled by this increase in retail media and being leaders in that space, along with Critios doing a lot of stuff as well. But it's not to say, I think from the open web, we've got questions or considerations saying that is going to shrink and contract. And I think we should be careful when we say the open web will decrease. I think there's an opportunity for publishers to capture more spend. But the question is that it will be through a change and it is going to be an independent ad tech that is going to be squeezed. And that can range from the SSP, DSP space through to identity solutions as well. We've seen a massive growth over the last couple of years, but I think we're going to see a contraction in that kind of central ad tech space as publishers look to deploy more first-party data strategies, contextual-based, one-to-one relationships with the buy side so that they can build those longer-lasting relationships. So for me, the kind of the winners and losers are, I think as an industry, we will win because we will work on the level of disintermediation that has kind of occurred over the last 10 years and we'll come back closer to one another from the buy to the sell side. And then specifically, the wall gardens are going to capture more budget, but publishers should be looking at 2022. I think with positivity that they can engage closer with advertisers because advertisers are now more than ever acutely aware of the importance of direct premium publisher partnerships to go back to content, it's these publishers that are creating that high quality content. Now we've obviously got a massive and continual growing influencer market and content creator market, but 
premium publishers do have a big role to play and they should double down on that in 2022. I think if we go step by step on the platform issue that you mentioned, we've seen their share of the digital ad market grow during the pandemic. And think of Google, Meta and Amazon all clearly big winners here. And there are a couple of things, of course, that fueled this. One is easy to use self-serve platforms, ideally made for these small and medium-sized advertisers who need to double down digital ads. But then also, when we look at the talent issue and talent shortages that we now have in agencies coming out of the pandemic, agencies need to decide which system to put people on. And the big systems are, of course, the ones that are most useful skills. So there's this self-fulfilling prophecy, in a sense, in the industry to fuel this. But you mentioned this vast array of lawsuits, and we recently saw, coming back to the supply chain issue, unredacted filing last Friday in the US District Court of Southern New York, it was where it became apparent that there might be some intercompetitive behavior having gone on on Google's side by declaring auctions to advertisers and first price auctions, but the publishers, they were actually third price auctions. So not sure what truth is in there. It's just a claim right now, but it really shows that platforms from a regulatory perspective are under siege. You see calls for Mark Zuckerberg to testify himself. So there are lawsuit after lawsuit, a lot happening there. And as you said, some are thinking about what does that mean to the platforms? Is Google going to divest with SSP? Is it going to double down on YouTube, Chrome, and the cloud? So I think these are all very strategic questions which change how the big platforms operate. And then there are more platforms coming in. And all these retail media solutions could be regarded as platforms in their own right, in the sense that they are closed systems that are growing not just because the market is ready for retail media, but fueled by the demise of third-party cookies, fueled by the preciousness of first-party data and the ability of placing an ad in an environment and having the conversion in the very same environment or linking it back to the page. I think here, suddenly, the macro conditions are such that something like retail media and the walled gardens emerging there, Eric Seufert called it the content fortresses, are becoming really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. With retail media as well, it'll be interesting to see how this space evolves as the open web, like premium publishers need to look at, I say alternative, and I realize I'm doing quotation marks and this is a podcast, mm-hmm. so no one could see my hands. But I was reading, I think it was Evening Standard Independent last year announced investment that they're investing into e-commerce as well. So that space we see not just the big well-known e-commerce platforms of like Amazon and Walmart and those ones doubling down and seeing an opportunity, as you said, to leverage their first-party data, but very specific intent data as well. We see publishers, premium publishers looking and going, well, I have an audience. What other ways can I engage and monetize this audience other than traditional display? And it's interesting, retail media, the concept retail media has been around for quite some time. It's just because of these kind of market pressures and shifts in the way, in particular over the last 18 months, the consumers engage. It's just seen that rapid growth as well. And it will continue. And then this is where it nicely links into kind of the metaverse conversation. I saw on LinkedIn, I think last week that Walmart has released an app where you literally walk down a shopping aisle and you pick up with controllers or whatever with your goggles on, put into your shopping trolley. That's taking the whole user experience of going to the shops and purchasing something online, which then is a perfect opportunity for brands and advertisers to engage in 
another way through the concept of retail media. So it's one that is definitely here to stay and is going to grow over 2022. I also saw this Walmart thing. I found it interesting, but also kind of naive, right? Like how a computer games designer from the 1980s would imagine the future is going to look like. So I think with the metaverse, and that's an entirely different conversation, what is the metaverse? How does it going to kind of Web3, decentralized? I think a lot of the visual interfaces that we see feel kind of naive and very simplistic. It's like taking past visions of the future and trying to make it contemporary. But what unites the two things is that they seemingly came out of nowhere. And I think it's remarkable. You mentioned, let's come back to retail media. Trade budgets have been going on all the time. And as commerce moves digital, of course, these trade budgets move to digital. Then there's on top of that, there are ad budgets, programmatic ad budgets, which are moving into that world as well. So budgets are coming from different areas. But it's kind of remarkable that, what do you think it is? That it seems like ad tech had been asleep at the wheel. There was Critio, there was Citrus Ads, by Publicis, and a few others. Microsoft was an early player in this. But you know, traditional ad tech was quite late to the party. Why is that? That's a good question. I think it was in part just a continued focus on this kind of audience idea. How do we replicate the third-party cookie world? Rather than replicating, let's look at how the kind of more macro picture of like, how are users evolving? How is engagement evolving? Where is attention? I mean, this gets mm. into the whole world of the attention economy, right? There's loads of great studies like Lumen, an ubiquity one. It was last year now, I think it was, that kind of highlighted this, that we need to be looking at different ways in engaging users. So I think that was one of the big driving factors is that the deprecation of third-party cookies and this concern that it is widely publicized that ad tech is underpinned by the use of third-party cookies. So that goes away. How do we fix that? It's an interesting point. It's It's like all-consuming topic that hasn't allowed strategic Mm -hmm. deliberations in other areas, maybe to the extent that would have been necessary. Yeah. And for ad tech as well to move to retail media, I don't think it should be underestimated the kind of shift and change that a traditional DSP or SSP has to make to be able to go and get those first party relationships, integrations to be able to operate in that space. So it's not a six month undertaking. I mean, we have seen that from Critio where like they've been working actively in that space, but really I think in the last 12 months, but no doubt behind the scenes, I would imagine that they've been actively working for quite some time to shift and pivot a portion of their offering towards that. So I think it's a bit of the barriers to entry as well as that kind of blinkers on and just fixated on how do we replicate or fix this third-party cookie deprecation issue? Of course, you know, our forecast and retail media is going to be huge. Yet again, it's not a winner-takes-all market. We suspect that it will be one or two category leaders in beauty, supermarkets, who are going to dominate this into online pharmacies and so forth. Not every company that has e-commerce stock available on e-commerce store can really have a successful retail media offering. So it's going to be the big guys, the category leaders that can really do this. Remember a couple of months ago, I was in Amsterdam at a retail media conference. And remarkably, one of the market leaders there, the supermarket chain, was telling me how difficult it was for the retail media division, despite exorbitant growth, to convince senior leadership in the supermarket core business that this was an important new business line because there's a culture shift there. If you are, say, not a digitally native e-commerce retailer, but come out of a different industry, these shifts can be hard. So we talk retail media platforms. You mentioned publishers and 
independent air tech. I saw this in a recent report by a writer research by Richard Kramer, who is supporting this thesis, suggesting that independent air tech will have a tough time. What do you think are options for independent air tech to thrive in this environment with this balkanization of IDs and kind of no clear path forward in terms of the future of addressability? The options slash opportunities could be doubling down on this cry out for transparency and, and more meaningful and close relationships. We've seen in the US ANA a study similar to the one we had here in the UK and PwC. And then obviously off the back of this unredacted legal case in the US, there's questions and there will be partners in market looking for an independent choice. But now more than ever, it will require a level of transparency and differentiation. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the ad tech space is that ad tech has become extremely commoditized and it's really difficult to kind of differentiate. But we see initiatives to bring this control and transparency, I should say, it's evolved from just transparency, but transparency and control from the likes of Xander's curated marketplace offering to many others. So I think from that perspective, there's that element. On the other front, they're probably going to need to get closer to kind of content and helping advertisers and publishers understand the power of content and the performance of content as well. So again, it comes back to feeding back that information and data to the end users so that they can make informed decisions on what content to develop and how to target it as well. You mentioned before the attention economy uh, with third-party cookies going away, with other targeting models being on regulatory quicksand in a sense. What is this attention economy and who's developing it? The attention economy is one that, again, it's so funny, our industry feels sometimes cyclical, right? It's like things are there, they pop up and then they get focused and some stick and then some go back through another cycle. And the attention economy is one that has been around, but has just had a lot of focus over the last 12 to 18 months, where we're looking at more of those true marketing metrics of awareness, affinity, intent, and how we're driving a user through that funnel. But importantly, what media drives attention and what part of the attention kind of journey that media can be involved in. And I mentioned like the likes of Lumen as one example, eye tracking software is kind of a leader in this space where they did their study on attention of different medias with ubiquity, but there are others as well. And I think it's good to see that agencies and advertisers are looking at the power of attention because if we get it right, it will help to answer some of the big problems that we have in digital advertising. One of the biggest ones is the continued growth of ad fraud. And if we are effectively able to target digital advertising on an attention economy, well, a bot isn't going to drive attention or awareness or affinity rather than just looking at a click or the viewability in isolation. Now, all of these different single kind of data points will drive towards that attention score, but it's looking at a wider range and bringing in further data sets to understand, okay, what is actually driving attention? I keep on stressing, I think, the importance of content, but not just like the content of the page, but the content of the actual ad itself as well. And this attention economy will help drive back to that and the importance of that and what users actually engage with 
as well. Because at the end of the day, you can do all of this amazing targeting and everything. But if no one really looks or engages with your ad or their attention is drawn to it, it's all kind of for nothing. I think the remarkable thing is that in theory, this focus on attention could have happened two years ago, could have happened five years ago, but it took the deprecation of third-party cookies, this palpable fear of what's next, how are we going to measure, how are we going to quantify to force the industry to change paradigm. I think this goes back to also what you said earlier about why some were so slow in pivoting towards retail media. I think it's get very easy to be stuck within one paradigm of thinking and trying to evolve within that paradigm without questioning the underlying assumptions, whether it's really good and sensible to do or not. Should we really be measuring clicks, views, and likes? Ad fraud, we know it's measurable, but it's not really relevant. And we could have done these things earlier, but it requires this new paradigm to now shift towards attention. And one of the key things is, so far, everybody is creating their own definition and their own KPIs around attention. Agencies have their own homegrown initiatives. By the way, I think it's great that agencies are taking leadership on this. Brands are doing the same. And we need to ensure as an industry, and that's also where the role of the IB comes in, that we know what we mean when we talk about attention and that it doesn't become so subjective that we are, in a sense, perverting the potential by making it open to interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with any of these one of the biggest challenges is to create a consensus around what something is. But to your point, I always say sometimes with these things, we shouldn't as an industry let perfect get in the way of doing better. So I think that we will see a continued coming together of what attention is, how importantly the varying factors that make it up and drive it. And it will be interesting to see if more and more campaign briefs or agencies shifting their performance to driving that attention metric. And as a byproduct, you'll see those harder performance metrics go up, I believe, because it all circles back. Like if you are driving the intent to purchase, you're driving those performance metrics. So I think what I'm trying to say is they're not just brand metrics and that it's kind of all encompassing. And it could be the, in a sense, highly complementary to the digital media economy, which is all about conversions, starting with bottle of the funnel, you know, it's closed loop attribution measurement. The attention economy isn't that at all. It really focuses on the editorial value, the value of time spent on a publisher's mm. page. So here, I think, despite the pressure of the platforms, despite maybe not every publisher, let's see whether the independent is going to be successful with this, branching into retail media and e-commerce, this attention economy is really one of the core areas where publishers can sell more than just their audience. Programmatic was always about, in the end, audience-based buying. And now it's about audience plus context plus value, which is a very, very different proposition. Yeah, absolutely. And it can help for premium publishers, and I guess specifically the news sector, combat those concerns around brand suitability and brand safety as well. It's like if your environment is driving better and more engaging attention, so long as the marketing message is done in the correct way and relevant to the context, it should help to counter those arguments of is news a brand suitable rather than brand safe environment as well, which is, I mean, I didn't touch on brand safety and brand suitability one because, again, I think that has been a continued area of focus over probably the last two to three years. 
and will continue to evolve. I don't think it's going to be a focus for 2022 as much as some of these other ones. But of course, the key question with the attention economy and some of the other things is what is good advertising and mm. what do advertisers value? Yes, they want measurement, but they want to quantify things differently. One of the things also is sustainability. We've seen, I think, starting really with Black Lives Matters and other things in 2020 already, a stronger concern about social, cultural, but now also the environmental impact and footprint of digital advertising. And with 26 and other things happening in 2021, there's a growing focus on the idea of are digital ads sustainable because digital ads mm. are emitting carbon. And good ads for some brands already today don't just mean what's the creative good. Did I get the measurement that I wanted? Did a person or the bot see the ad? Did I quantify attention? But it's also about what footprint am I leaving? And I know you had seen this working deeply in this new area of sustainability, more from an infrastructural perspective. What's that about exactly? And do you think that new advertisers kind of greenwashing as some usually do, or is this something more substantial? Yeah, as you said, this is a massive focus for us, or will be for not just the next year, but continuously. And the reason as an industry, right, is not just our industry, but any industry is there is and will be continued growing pressure for like social pressure from the wider population, but also shareholder pressure on businesses and brands to start their decarbonization journey now. And part of that decarbonization journey revolves around their marketing efforts. We've seen in the industry after COP26, add net zero as one example of uh, movement. The five steps laid out there are primarily focused for agencies to address that. I think it was 3.4 tons of carbon produced per agency employee per year, how they can address that. And what we're seeing is that is, if you look at the scopes, scope one, two, and three outlined at COP26, Ad Net Zero and other initiatives like that focus primarily on the direct emissions. So you're kind of scope one, which is good. But for us to be a climate-friendly industry, we have to address the infrastructure and the internet and the way in which we deliver ads. I mean, we've got agencies coming out and making carbon-neutral promises, like Dentsu from the first scientifically proven agency to be carbon-neutral, I think, and then WPP making a statement around being net zero in the coming years. But off the back of that, their own research showed that 98.3% of emissions produced by WPP come from an indirect is the internet and the actual ad, the ad content, the creation of the ads, the delivery of the ads, and the way in which they're running. To put it into context, there's wide ranges of calculations and views, but the internet conservative view is 2% of global emissions, which puts us on par with the aviation industry. And that's conservative. So we have to address the amount of carbon emissions that that is delivering. A lot of that comes from what's known as data transfer. So sending files from point A to point B across the internet. And we as an industry need to look at how we reduce our carbon emissions as well as offsetting is great and a good initiative. However, offsetting has its limitations ranging from the immediacy of the impact of that offset through to carbon credits and questions and issues around carbon credits. But I guess what we're saying is we should be continuing with offsetting initiatives, but it's on us as an industry to innovate 
and drive technological changes that reduce the requirement for energy consumption and therefore reduce the requirement for CO2. You technological standard, right? A lot of industry initiatives are about a seal of approval, some written commitment, but you say it has Mm. to go further than that, right? Something has to happen on the delivery side of digital advertising to affect change. Did I get that right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of key steps that need to happen and we hope that they will happen over the coming 12 months. So firstly is, as an industry, we should come together and try and agree on how we measure the CO2 impact of an ad. And similarly, let's not forget about websites themselves. So websites have an impact and they use energy. And I think the reason we say we should get the measurement part right is there is a wide range, as I mentioned, of different measurements. That'll allow us then to kind of agree on the need for change, quantify the impact of change, and then similarly raise awareness continuously that we do. Off the back of that, there are loads of technological advances. And what we're working on at CNIS primarily focuses on the actual delivery of ads and multimedia like images as well, where those assets are downloaded to a user's device, often out of view, which is unnecessary. Whereas what we're looking at doing is switching that to streaming where it only streams the data when in view. So you remove data transfer and then emissions is one way of an example. And that's just one part of the digital supply chain, right? You've got the data, if we go back to third-party cookies, right? Possibly one of the big benefits of removing third-party cookies is the ability for anyone and everyone to sync. And every sync creates energy consumption. So a byproduct of this is we're going to reduce the amount of data syncing. Well, hopefully, given we just talked earlier that there's been a massive expansion of ID solutions, we need to be really careful. And I did a podcast with Tom Kershaw last year, and we talked about his role at Previd, the identity modules. One of the big concerns is the cloud compute and infrastructure required behind this growing amount of ID solutions. So we need to be mindful as an industry of like a plug and play approach when it comes to forward thinking identity and new yeah. solutions because they all have a cost and an impact on the environment. I think well. it's fascinating. When we look at you know, our discussion today, there are the usual suspects, right? Where's growth coming from? Which media form does it go into? The third party cookie stuff. Then also new topics, which even six months ago, weren't really on the forefront of the agenda. The attention economy, I think, again, happened quite suddenly. Then the notion of sustainability also quite suddenly. So I think we are now in a situation, 2022, where we see a continuation of 2021 trends playing out in full force. But we're also seeing new topics or new angles on old topics suddenly taking center stage. So I think it looks to be a very exciting year for the industry. And to wrap up our podcast, is there something that you are looking forward to in particular to working on this year? For me, I'm looking forward to working and collaborating with the industry on that kind of sustainability angle and driving a consensus as to how we measure the ads, but moving from a point of conversation to actual action around changing and collaborating on solutions that address that triple bottom line, right? Of people, profit and planet for sustainable solutions and shifting the conversation there. That's a great topic, not least because it's not defensive in a sense, trying to make 
an industry with a some negative public reputation, you know, on targeting and so forth better, trying to fix that. But to have the industry as a trailblazer, as a positive change maker, and maybe as one of the earliest industries to tackle this issue, the relationship between digital technology and environmental change. Very exciting topic. Drew, thanks so much for being on our podcast. Really appreciate it. And gives an update of how the sustainability working groups are evolving this year. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. A pleasure as always. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. So be sure to subscribe and tell anyone else who might be interested to listen in too. For more information on IEB Europe, you can visit our website at www.ieburope.eu or contact us via at IEB Europe on Twitter. Thanks for listening and stay safe.